following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Put your hands together for Jesus. This is His day. Come on. It's His day. Come on, this is His day. Resurrection Sunday. Yes, sir. And while you're clapping, let's give a hand to the overflow room with over 100 people in it right now. Next door, we welcome you. Let's also give a shout out to the Facebook crowd. Come on, we welcome you today. But most of all, let's welcome Jesus today in the house. Hallelujah. Wow. Wow, Easter Sunday, I love it. I'm at halftime. I just came out of the locker room. It's halftime. I've, ta- I've preached twice, last night and this morning. i got two more to go. So you're the third quarter, okay? I come out of the halftime hot and ready to go. Y'all ready? Let's have some church today. I promise you, if you'll let me, I kind of like when I marry couples, I tell them, just relax, let me do the sweating. And you enjoy what's happening. This is a day to enjoy the celebration of the fact that Jesus is risen. Say it with me. Jesus is risen. Say, he's risen indeed. You're not loud enough. Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. That's better. That's better. I, uh, about four months ago, I received a... Uh, an email from my high school level in Texas. They wanted me to come to a class reunion. I hate to tell you it was my 50th, but I did graduate when I was 10. So I'm not near as old as those old people that's going to that reunion, you know. Well, I didn't answer it. I didn't answer it. And so about two weeks ago, I got a, I got a thing that said, if you want to register, register. So I went online and I realized that I was in the memory section. In memory of. That means I'm gone, gone. Passed away. And Linda had written that because she saw where somebody named Rex Johnson had died. And so she just thought I was the only one in the world. I guess she liked me in high school. I don't know. But anyhow. So one of my buddies that was a dear friend of mine during high school, he said, I decided to look you up, Rex. And he said, I looked up Pastor Rex Johnson and I found you. And he said, I've listened to a bunch of your sermons. And then the other day, Linda wrote back and she said, Pastor, we're so happy to know that you're alive, alive instead of gone, gone. I had written her and I said, I said, the, the, the words of my passing have been greatly exaggerated. I'm alive. I'd like to tell the enemy today, the words of the Lord's death is highly exaggerated. He is alive today, and he's doing all right. And the church is all right. Come on, clap your hands. We're in a great place. I'm going to speak today just a little while on the subject, the light has come. So I want you to stand up. Just a moment. We're going to act like we're doing calisthenics, okay? All right, we're getting loose. And turn to your neighbor and say, the light has come. And you may be seated. That's all I want you to do. I've got to work. You're going to at least stand up a little. In the latter part of the 19th century, a scientist established that life had begun and still might be in the depths of the ocean, perhaps hidden, but there. 
And they believed that in that world of darkness was the first forms of life. And they named this oceanic nursery Urshlem. It's a German name to give it scientific respectability. In 1872, Sir Charles Thompson left England aboard a ship called the Challenger to sail through the oceans of the world to test this theory. And they sailed for four years, 69,000 miles, dragging the ocean bottom. And what they discovered were grotesque, rare forms of life. They didn't find anything new. Dragging four miles of rope behind them, then pulling it back in, found the same animals every time. And though they didn't find what they were looking for, they did find life forms that had evolved from creatures that could be found in the shallow part of the ocean. And they concluded that life was created at the surface of the ocean, not the depths of it, and then descended to the depths, perhaps for survival, and then adjusted to the life of darkness and to those depths. But to live at those depths, they morphed into this grotesque kind of animal with big old huge mouths out of proportion to the rest of their bodies in order to catch any morsel that might be floating down to the bottom of the ocean for them to eat. They also had huge projecting eyes in order to catch a glimpse perhaps of the light because they were so far down, light was a rarity. Life in the deep, folks, is like that very distorted and it's not what God created life to be so the expedition was considered a failure the challenger in that it didn't find what it was looking for but in another sense it was a success because it substantiated that life began in the upper oceans near the surface and there can be only one reason for this and that reason is and it's on the screen light everybody say light Without light, folks, there would be no creation. Ponder this. In Genesis we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved over the surface of the water. And God said, here it is, Let there be light. The first words he ever spoke over creation was, let there be light. Genesis declared light is the agency of creation long before science came along and proved it. For without light, there would be no life. In the New Testament, in John's gospel, I love John. It begins with the story of creation as well. Because John starts with the same words that Moses started Genesis with in the beginning. But in John's writing, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Like Genesis, John says that light is the agency of creation. Now, I want you to get this. He says that Jesus, John 1.14, the Word became flesh. Jesus was the Word that was with God in the beginning. And that word in the New Testament became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the Father full of grace and full of truth. John 1, 14. So the voice of Genesis, folks, in creation, the voice, the word in Genesis, is the voice and the word of Jesus to us today. It's the same word. So that's why Jesus, when he has come to us, he came in him was life. 
And the life was the light. Everybody say light. Of all mankind. Jesus turned the light on. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Before the creation there was darkness. And then there was light. And then there was life. John says that the light that we saw in Jesus was the light that created the world. Amen. Which means that wherever Jesus went and spoke, there was the possibility for a brand new creation. Can I tell you that God's Word every Sunday that's preached is still alive today? In the Old Testament, it was a logos or a thought. But in the New Testament, it's a rhema or a word, a now word. And when Jesus spoke, it was for right now. And I declare to this congregation today that there's a now word coming from this pulpit today. That'll create something in you on this Easter Sunday. That'll just not be the same old six and seven. But you'll get up out of here and say, you know what? I believe in Resurrection Sunday. Amen. Because Jesus is alive today. Every time he spoke, there was a possibility for a new creation. So he one day he spoke and he created calm. He created calm out of chaos with the wind. He spoke to the waves and they ceased. He spoke to disease and it disappeared. He spoke to death and it came alive. It was said of him, never a man spoke like this man. Nobody could talk like him. He spoke to a demoniac in Mark 5, and he was delivered of 2,000 demons. He spoke to a harlot, and she was set free of seven spirits. He spoke to ten lepers, and they were healed as they went to the priest. He spoke to a man paralyzed for 38 years, and he walked away whole, carrying the bed that he had slept on for 38 years. He got well right now. He spoke to a woman at a well who had been married five times, and she brought a whole city to him. Never a man spoke like this man. And yet, there's something even greater than that. Let me say something else about this Jesus. Not only never a man spoke like him, but no one ever used language like he did. If the Webster's Dictionary was alive in the Old Testament, when Jesus came, he wrote a whole new lexicon, a whole new dictionary. He wrote a whole new thesaurus. He was the man that created brand new phrases and brand new words because he was the word in flesh speaking to us. And I'm excited today to tell you that he brought some things to the table that we never heard in the Old Testament. You know, my wife and I, we love our grandkids. We got seven of them and they're awesome kids and we love to keep them when we're not busy. And last Thursday, we, we were privileged to keep two of our grandkids and little boy and little girl of Caitlin and Jaren's. And, and uh, I go out, I go out to do a lot of things to help my wife. Most, mostly I go out, you know, if the Spurs are playing on TV or something or there's a baseball game, I watch that while she watches the kids. So I go out and help her. But when, <laughs> but when it's bath time, I'm the man. Because my wife uses me and just kind of pops a whip and said, they need a bath, let's go. So we go upstairs and we put those kids in the tub and we just have a blast in the tub. They're in the tub, I'm not, okay? Don't. <laughs> let's, get, let's get this audience clean here today. 
But the little one, the little girl, little, little Lennon, she always likes to eat yogurt or something, you know, in the, in the tub. She likes to eat in the tub. And so, and so last Thursday night she was saying, e, 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 And we said, cheese? No. Some meat? No. Sweet? No. Finally my wife figured out she wanted somebody to brush her teeth. It was a new language. We didn't understand it. And you know what? It reminded me of her mother because her mother, Caitlin, that sang right here today, the woman that sang right here, when she was little, she created one time her own language, her own language. She was three, four, five years old, and we'd come home, and she'd make up a brand new phrases of language. She'd bring this all kind, and nobody knew the interpretation but her. So we had to guess what was the word she is saying. So she'd say, choo-choo, that meant strawberries. She'd say, Hoto, that meant potato chips on one day. But the next day, it might mean something else. And I am so glad that she has a daughter just like her. You know, I call Caitlin's language a mix of Spanish and Swahili and Swedish and some self. But it was a language that she created. But it was a language that Jesus brought. That nobody had ever heard before. It was his language. He created a whole new vocabulary for us. For the New Testament people. In John 6, he put him in a desert with hungry people. And after he had fed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fishes, he sat down and he said, I am the bread of life. Nobody could ever say that. Isaiah couldn't say that. Jeremiah couldn't say that. Ezekiel couldn't say that. He said, I am. Put him in front of some curious people. And they said, who are you? What's different from you and the other sages and the other prophets? What are you different? In John 10, he said, I am the gate of the sheep. In John 15, put him with disconnected people and people that don't know how to connect. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. He put words in us. He put new words in us like in John 17 when he prayed for us, like eternal life. That's nowhere found in the Old Testament because they didn't understand the eternal life side of it. But Jesus brought a new language to us, eternal life. Aren't you glad that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Isn't that a great thing, eternal life? He also said in John 10, two words, abundant life. He said, the thief cometh to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And in John 11, you put him in a cemetery. And a man named Lazarus is behind that stone. And in verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am That word, folks, don't have to proof text it. That word is never found in the Old Testament. Never found in the Old Gospel. Never found in the 39 books of the Old. It is a New Testament word. Everybody say resurrection. And I want to also declare that you can't put it in a past tense. The word resurrected is not even in the Bible. Because he don't want, oh my Lord, he doesn't want anything past tense with what he is right now. I'm preaching about a Savior who is right now the resurrection and the life. And it's a New Testament word. Can somebody get a hold of that and clap your hands and say, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing us a brand new 
word. Resurrection is a New Testament creative word. It is a rhema of the New Testament. Jesus Christ is Lord over all areas of our lives. So if you're high today, not on drugs, but if you're on high today, or you're low today, or you're bad, or you're good, or you're weak, or you're strong, or you're praising, or you're weeping, or you're mountaintop, or you're valley, He is the God that is for us in every situation in life. And He's not resurrected. He is the resurrection. In the port of Genoa, there's a statue that's called the Christ of the Deep. I'll show you a picture. It's a classic statue of Jesus with his arms outstretched as if to say, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me tell you about this Jesus on this celebration Sunday. He'll go to any length to find you, to rescue you, to save you from this world and from the foes that try to defeat you. He did that throughout his ministry. He's still doing it today because Hebrews 13 and 8 said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he fought for the saints, then he's fighting for you now. And he's here for us right here today on this celebration Sunday. I wish you could do me a favor and clap your hands real big and say he's resurrection today. Come on. He's resurrection today. He is the resurrection today. Isaiah said he's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and because he was acquainted with sorrow and grief and because he was there, because he understood it when he went to the cross, it means that you, don't have, you and I don't have to stay here. We can get up from where we are and go to where he is because there is a word that he gave to us called resurrection. You may, not, you may have to go there, but you don't have to stay there. Because there's a new word in our vocabulary called resurrection, and it works every day. And the new power is released by His Word. In your life, in which you find yourself trapped, down in the depths of life, maybe a distorted view of what this life's all about, but you don't have to stay there. You know why? Because Jesus is the resurrection. Years ago, there appeared a story in the newspaper in Galveston, Texas. I love this story. It's about a woman and her parakeet whose name was Chippy. And the woman was cleaning Chippy's birdcage with a canister vacuum cleaner, the kind with a long metal tube on which you could put attachments at the end. But to clean his cage, she had taken all the attachments off. And she was cleaning the bottom of the birdcage when the phone rang. And she reached over to get the phone, and as she did, she heard the unmistakable sound of Chippy being sucked up in the vacuum. And immediately, you're feeling sorry for a bird. That's sweet. Immediately she put down the phone and rushed over to the vacuum and pulled out the vacuum bag and ripped it open. There she found Chippy sitting stunned and still alive. But since the bird was now covered in soot and dirt, she grabbed that precious little bird and ran into the bathroom and turned the faucet on full blast and put him under that cold water to wash him off. And then she saw a hairdryer sitting on the sink. She turned it on high and hot, and she turned it on that little bird and dried him off and then put him back on his little perch in the, in the cage. He just stood there. <laughs> now, that's the kind of story that newspapers like. So the newspaper in Galveston sent a reporter out to talk to the woman about this incident, and he concluded with this question. He said, how's Chippy doing, ma'am? And the woman said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just kind of sits and stares (laughs) like he's not here. That happens to a lot of people. 
Life has a way of sucking you up in its fulcrum, of making you feel like that in the wake of life, you're not going to make it. And then you come out of that thing with soot and dirt all over you. And somebody grabs you and said, I want to wash you off and I want to blow dry you. And you sit back in your chair and say, wow, what just happened to me? But I want you to slow down just a minute. You're more than a survivor. You're more than a victim. You are a created being of Almighty God. And you are in a New Testament place called grace. And there's a word for you today, and it's resurrection. And if you're sitting in a place where your marriage is in trouble, if you're sitting in a place where your home is in shambles, if you're sitting in a place where life is not doing you well on your job, if you're sitting in a place where physically you're unable to make it work, if you're sitting in a place where you're having mind traumas and you're having all emotional upheavals in your life, if you're sitting somewhere like that, I got news for you. He is the resurrection and the life. It's not just about bringing dead people to life. It's about bringing people that are hurting back to life. And I want you to walk out of here today with victory in your heart. When Mary got to the tomb, Mary Magdalene got to the tomb, the one he had cast out seven devils, she realized that he was risen. And she ran and told Peter and John. And then Peter and John had a little half marathon to run to the tomb. And John must have been in better shape because Pete was a fisherman. He must have eaten, eaten all of his catch. He probably was a big old boy. I can see Pete as an old robust boy, and he didn't get a lot of exercise in the gym. And John outran Pete to the tomb, and he looks inside and doesn't go inside. But when Peter gets there, he said, I'm going in, boys. And he walked into the tomb, and he saw something that got him. He saw a napkin folded in a place by itself. And he realized what that represented in Jewish lore. When a man got through with his meal, if he was done, he just absolutely threw the napkin on the table all messed up and disheveled. But if he was coming back and just taking a break, he would fold that napkin and put it there and say, don't take my food, don't take my stuff because I'm coming back to finish. And I declare to this congregation today that the empty tomb didn't mean it was over. The empty tomb means that there's a folded napkin there and Jesus is coming back to finish what he started. And he's going to finish in you what he began in you. And on this Easter day, you need to rejoice in the fact that he is risen. Hallelujah. The great Danish philosopher described people that are going through roughness in life and toughness in life. People who live their lives as if they are typographical errors refusing to be erased. They just don't want to be changed. I read a story about a young man who bought a new car several years ago and drove it a couple of years. And one day he was on a lonesome highway, a little little two-lane blue highway. And uh, he had car trouble. So he he pulled over the side of the road. The car died on him. He pulled over the side of the road. I'm putting these on not to see you, but to see what time it is. Thank you. (laughs) And he raised the hood like he was going to fix it, you know. And he got to tinkering there, and he thought, Lord, let somebody come by that knows what they're doing because I can't fix it. He knew about as much about a car as I do. I know how to fill it up with gas. That's about all. (laughs) And all of a sudden, a limousine pulls up, and a man with a tuxedo gets out of that limousine. And he said, "Young, young man, you having trouble with that car? He said, yeah, man. But he thought to himself, what can you do? 
tuxedo man. And he pulls his coat off, said, hold this and get into the driver's seat. When I tell you to hit the starter switch, hit it. And so the man went to that raised hood and got in under there. And he started tapping here and raising this and plugging this here. And he said, hit it. And the guy hit the switch and it started. He shut the hood and he said, I got it fixed for you. And the guy said, what do I owe you? He said, nothing. You don't owe me nothing. He said, well, who can I thank? He said, well, my name's Henry Ford. <laughs> and I made that vehicle. And I can't stand one of my creations on the side of the road not running. Can I tell you, Jesus told me to come tell you today that he made you. And he can't stand to see you on the side of the road not running. Come on. You need to run out of here today and say, I'm going to live a resurrection life because he is my resurrection. Let him raise your hood. Let him fix you today. Let him work on your spirit and walk out of here a brand new person in your thinking. I remember when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a kid, there was a smart girl in school and I really had a hard time with her. She was a smart Alec as well as smart. She had an Alec to her last name. Her last name was Alec. She was a smart Alec. And I always wanted to learn something that she didn't know so I could tell her something. I'm still feeling that fire in me. Because I saw her picture the other day in the class reunion thing and I said, I'm going to talk to her when I get to that reunion this year. She was valedictorian and she... Don't be watching me, Molly, but she cheated off my papers. There you go. There you go. There you go. I wasn't valedictorian. I wasn't salutatorian, but she, she sometimes cheated off my papers in math. All right. So one day, one day I got this word. I got this word. It was anti-disestablishmentarianism. And it's 29 letters. And I walked up to her at school and I said, hey. Do you know what anti-disestablishmentarianism means? I can't even say it now. <laughs> anti-disestablishmentarianism, you know what that means? She said, no. I said, hmm, there you got it, I know. <laughs> I love to create words that she didn't know. Sometimes you need to walk up to the enemy of your life. And say, I want to tell you something, devil. I want to tell you something, world. I've got a word in me that you can't handle. It's called resurrection. It's called resurrection. I live in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to clap your hand to say, I got a new word to go share. Vicki Christian has been my secretary for a number of years. She's got a sister named Carla. And Carla was always smart. It was a different kind of feeling, though, with Carla. And so one day when I was just a little old kid... I learned how to spell the word nat, nat. It's G-N-A-T. Does anybody know that? G-N-A-T? Okay. And so I asked Carla one day, how do you spell nat? And I knew I had her. She said, well, I know it's got a silent start. I know it's got a silent letter. And she said, I know I got it, K-N-A-T. And I said, no, it's G-N-A-T. 
can I, can I put something in you right now? Can I tell you it's still J-E-S-U-S? It's still Jesus Christ. It's still resurrection power. Somebody clap your hands and say, I'm going to walk out of here today. I'm going to celebrate his resurrection in my life. You know, the disciples, I'm going to take this watch off. You know what this means? Absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. I'm just going to put it there, and I'll get it in just a moment. But the resurrection was preached by the apostles in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, everything that they did, Paul spoke about the resurrection in Acts 17, 23 and 24. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he made this statement. He said, if it wasn't for the resurrection, the cross is useless. You know why he said that? Because two thieves died on either side of Jesus. Let me preach to you. We love the cross and we preach the cross. There's one here, there's one there, and there's one here in the middle on a, on a sign when we're not preaching. But let me declare something to you. If your Christ is still dead on the cross, you're worshiping the wrong Christ. The Christ that we worship today has come out of the grave. And he is alive. And he is well. And he is with us. And he's not some dead Christ on a cross. He's a resurrection Christ. He's a right now resurrection Christ. We need to celebrate that. Come on. Get out of the dead worship. Get out of dead praise. Get out of dead stuff. And lift your hands to a resurrection Savior. You may not have chosen your suffering. But you don't have to stay there. Let me, let, 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 me, let, me, let me wrap this up. The cross and the resurrection, I think, should be punctuated with a hyphen. Put it up there. Cross, hyphen, resurrection. And here's the reason I think that. Because you can't have one without the other. And you can't have a cross without a resurrection. And you can't have a resurrection without a death. And it's important that you understand when things happen in your life, you get this. A hyphen means some things of distinct form or origin that have been joined. The cross made the difference. Hallelujah. The cross made the difference. But the resurrection gave us life. And that more abundant. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. He mentioned resurrection first because he said, the cross is awesome and it bought my salvation. But the resurrection is what gave me the freedom that I have. I'm not dead any longer. I'm alive today because he got up. I can get up because he lives. I can live. Because he overcame, I can overcome. Because he walked through it, I can get through it. Because he lives, I can live. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8 said we're more than conquerors. Everybody say more than. than. Through him who loved us. Paul also said for now we know that in everything God works for good to those who love him. Or called according to his purpose. He said, what then shall we say to this? If God be for us, who can be against us? And who can separate us from the love of God, which we saw in Christ Jesus our Lord? There's a great speaker that I read about a lot. He's a, he's a sociologist. And he, 
He teaches at Eastern Baptist College in Philadelphia. He also goes to an all-black congregation. He's an Italian man. And he goes there because he understands the power of the gospel to overcome divisions that the world has set up between people. Can I celebrate today the beautiful, multicultural, multiracial church that we have right here? Can you clap your hands for that? I love that. I love it. Come on. I love it. But he talked about his pastor one day that preached a sermon on Good Friday. Everywhere he goes, he tells this. This is kind of the thing that he sums up his sermons with. He said the old pastor preached, it's Friday, hyphen, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The cross is alive. Jesus is dying, but Sunday's coming. The resurrection is on its way. It's Friday. I've got some issues in my life, but Sunday's coming. I'm going to get on top of them in my life. It's Friday. There's a lot of people saying that he won't come back, but now it's Sunday. Jesus is alive and well. I want you to understand it's Sunday today. It's Resurrection Sunday. And hear me, there's no April Fool about it. You can have it on any day. Jesus is alive. He's Resurrection Jesus. God's in charge. Resurrection means new life. Jesus gives resurrections, not resuscitations. That means the old is being restored. He is a resurrection Savior. I close today. I got a buddy in Houston that pastors Luke United Methodist in Houston. We did a, a wedding one day together, and I wore a robe, and I looked good in that robe. <laughs> I'm teasing. Lord, it was hot. But he's my buddy. He was telling me a story about a a woman in his church that was in his choir, that a little old lady that, that sang with all of her heart. And one day she was diagnosed with cancer. And so he went to see her in the hospital. She said, Pastor, said, when I die, bury me in my choir robe. And he said, why? She said, because I heard in heaven all God's kids are going to wear robes. And I want to take mine with me just in case he runs out before he gets to me. But said, if he does have enough, I'll just throw mine away and I'll take one of his. I love that kind of feeling that you get from people that know that they know that they know that Jesus is our resurrection. Randy, if you'll come and help me. Years ago, there was a man that lived and he had one son. And he loved this son. Wife was gone. She had died. He loved this son with all his heart. And the son was called to war. And so he prayed for the son every day that he'd get back home safe. And then one day the news came that his boy had died in battle. And the man, now older, became weak and frail because his son was killed in battle. And it wasn't much longer until the knock came on his door and there was a, a soldier at his door. And he said, sir, he said, this may not bless you at all, but I've got, a, I've got a picture here that I drew of your boy, my buddy, my foxhole buddy in war. I drew this of him. And he said, it's just an amateur drawing. I said, would you like it? He said, I'd love it. So the man on this big estate that he had, a huge estate that was worth several millions, he put that picture right in the front entrance, in the, right there in the foyer of his home. So when people walked in, they saw his son. They saw a picture of the deceased boy. 
The old man eventually died. And they had an estate sale. And there was a will that was left. There was no next of kin. So there was a man who was the executor of the will that came for the estate sale. And he said, all right, here's what the will says. The will says that the picture of the boy will be auctioned off first. And everybody went crazy. Get the boy out of here. We don't want him. Get, get him out of here. And the picture sold for something like $50. And then the executor of the will said, the auction is closed. And everybody started booing and hissing and said, why? He said, because the will said, he who takes the son gets it all. Gets it all. Gets it all. Anybody want to take the son Jesus Christ today? Anybody? Come on. Anybody want to claim him today? He is risen. He's alive. There's nobody like him. He rules. He reigns. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. Stand to your feet and cheer for Jesus today. It's His day. It's His day. It's Resurrection Sunday.